Ninth Story Studios, giving story a voice. Tweet, tweet! Are you a birdie? Do you like to Twitter and tweet? Come find us on Twitter at Victoria's Lit. Tweet, tweet! Hello, this is Daniel Foytek, and I welcome you to episode three of Inside the Music Box, our behind-the-scene interviews with the folks that make the show possible. Today's interview is with Jeanette Andromeda, our creative director. As creative director, she is primarily responsible for the visual aspect of the show. That means the art, the look, the feel, the vibe, everything that you get from the website to the cover images Jeanette is involved in. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our discussion about art and some of the challenges in making art. We also talk about artists and their responsibility to tell the truth as they see it. So, today my guest is Jeanette Andromeda. Jeanette is one of my favorite people on the planet, and we're going to talk about art today and arty adventures, right? Isn't that that your catchphrase? Or wasn't that your catchphrase at one point, arty adventures? It was, (laughs) when I was being properly productive on YouTube. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Which I have not been in a while. To those who watch my YouTube channel, I'm so sorry, but don't worry, I'm not dead. <laughs> That's good to know. Even if yeah. even if you have been bitten by ticks um, <laughs> and infected with Lyme disease. Who knows? We'll find out after a month. <laughs> Is that only it takes a month? Oh, uh, yeah. So it takes about a month after you get bit by a tick to have any of the i mean there's all sorts of fun things that ticks can carry so you know i'll get tested for a bunch of them and see if i if i won the tick lottery at all (laughs) (laughs) so so just so we don't scare anybody jeanette just got bit by bitten by a tick what yesterday today uh like uh, like two weeks ago oh two weeks ago oh well this i thought this was a new development oh no the new development was me looking at the bites and being like wow they're still there, and they look kind of terrible. Maybe I should deal with that. Maybe you, maybe you'll have like tick powers or or spider powers or something. Could be a spider. Spider powers would be better. I've seen the tick, and he's hilarious, but I wouldn't want his powers. He's nigh invulnerable. Yeah. <laughs> Pass. <laughs> Although that might be helpful because I'm allergic to life, so maybe being nigh invulnerable would be a, a benefit for me. <laughs> Tremendous. <laughs> so, talking about art, you've done art for all kinds of projects for me. Um, mm-hmm. You've done stuff for Victoria's Lift, and you've done stuff for the Wicked Library, and you did stuff for our books, and all kinds of stuff. So, lots of art. <laughs> you do. You do. So, what are some of the things that inspire you when you sit down to create a piece? I mean, I know that I'm usually pretty loosey-goosey with you. I give you some general ideas about what I'm thinking most of the time. Sometimes I've been a little more specific, but mm-hmm. for the most part, I usually just kind of throw general ideas at you and, and, and let you run with it because you're a lot better. Anything that I tell you, you're going to do come up with something better anyway. So I, I, I'm always <laughs> curious like where the inspiration comes from. Like, for instance... As we're recording this, um, you're working on art for the Wicked Library season 11. Yeah. And 
I know the only thing I really threw at you was the season of sci-fi. Um, oh. and you don't have to spoil anything and tell me what you're, what you're doing, but how do you, how do you come up with inspiration whenever someone gives you something vague like that? Is that fun? I've always thought it was fun to let you kind of pick, but I don't know. Maybe it's like, I want more information. It kind of depends on the project. Like, I love the artistic liberty projects, like what you sent me, where it's like, I need something Wicked Library slash sci-fi. Like, cool. Uh, when I first came up with the idea for the season art that uh, you will have <laughs> before <laughs> the new season comes out. In uh, just a couple days, folks. Just a couple days. Uh, it actually came from, I was in New Mexico. And I went into this little secondhand bookshop and I, I ended up um, finding a couple like 1970s, you know, like one cent reprints of early 50s sci-fi stories. Mm -hmm. um, and the specific one that I, I was reading was The Legion of Space, which uh, <laughs> is low key, just sexist the entire way through, but hilarious to read. Um, but it kind of came from that. And what's funny about that particular little shop is it was a day where I had, uh, I was wandering around after getting my septum pierced because that's what you do. <laughs> it was like my first day after the 14 day COVID quarantine after traveling to New Mexico, I was finally able to go explore. So got my piercing done, went down the street, uh, went into the store, found these books and specifically the Legion of Space. And then I ended up in a long conversation about how the dudes who were running the store evaded the draft <laughs> and did lots and lots of psychedelics for quite a while. And I ended up stuck in that conversation for a hot minute until this lady came in rolling a suitcase, grumbling about how her daughters had betrayed her and sold all of her books and she was trying to find them. And I'm like, yep, I'm going to follow that lady out. Bye. <laughs> My daughters have betrayed me and sold all my. That's that. As someone who loves books, that sounds pretty awful. You know what? Yeah, she's like they think I'm a hoarder, but they don't understand. These were like first edition books. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Please tell me more because I really want to leave this conversation yeah. about psychedelics right now. Um, and then I, yeah, I might have hung I mean, around for the conversation about psychedelics personally, but uh, I that's was just there me for a while. <laughs> I think I think that I'm a book hoarder, but I think that's like I, I don't know if you can call it hoarding if it's something specific like maybe if you just like have books just to have them it's hoarding, but like if you actually read them or lend them to people or mm -hmm. as she had said, you know, their first editions, their collector items, they have some monetary value. Um I don't know if that's hoarding. I think I think I define hoarding as like if you have too many ballpoint pens that don't work anymore or a right. box full of bags or a bag full of boxes or a box full of burned out light bulbs. Like to me, that's yeah. hoarding. That's hoarding. Whereas like a room full of books is called a library. A library. <laughs> yes. So yeah, that she, she turned into an interesting conversation walking down the street with her while she's rolling her suitcase and bitching about her, uh, <laughs> her, her daughter's. I, I gotta ask, that... what was what's up with the suitcase? Was was the suitcase oh. full of books that she had found? Yes, <laughs> she was trying to like that was how she was storing the books that she was buying back. Um, so she <laughs> she was on a hunt to find like not necessarily the copies that her oh. daughters had sold because she had given up hope on that, but like 
ones that she'd lost in the process of gotcha. her daughter's downsizing for her. Um, <laughs> interesting lady. I, I appreciated our, our talk as we wandered down the street, and she told me about how her son used to play the drums down in the corner and how his girlfriend Did he take had psychedelics? wrecked the car across the street. No, he wasn't doing psychedelics. He was just, uh, you know. A non-psychedelic drummer. Okay. Non-psychedelic drummer, believe it or not. <laughs> no, I know. They they exist. I'm sure there's lots of very clean and sober drummers. Maybe. Never <laughs> My experience with, with rock music from the 60s and 70s is that that's a rare commodity. Um, mm -hmm. But, you know. <laughs> so that's where the idea. For <laughs> so the idea is the lady or the idea is the books that you were? Because I, oh. I like the idea of the lady being... <laughs> The lady with the suitcase sounds like a fantastic cover. Maybe we should do a joke cover for the Wicked Library with this woman <laughs> that's rolling down the street, you know, with, with a with a piece of luggage trying to find that. That sounds that sounds like a great story to me. You know, that, like that uh, does sound like a great story, <laughs> especially if the books have like some kind of power or something like that. Like maybe they're mm -hmm. books of spells. And she's like, my daughters have no idea. They just got rid of the Necronomicon. <laughs> yeah, they've unleashed chaos into the world. By selling my book collection. That's right. I hope no. I hope nobody opens the books. Oh uh, yeah, that, that's and they will swallow your right soul. <laughs> that that gives some urgency to her character. Like now she that can is. be like you know dressed oddly and eccentric with her hair all wild and everything. I mean, because she she's out there on a quest to <laughs> save the universe by getting her books back. I love it. That should be a Wicked Library episode. <laughs> Someone might just have to write it. Yeah. Hint, hint, <laughs> listeners, if you're an author. Um, Free game. Go that's ahead. right. <laughs> so, so for this scenario, you're you're inspired by pulp covers from the '50s and '60s. Is that right? Yep. Um, so I really wanted to do something kind of like classic sci-fi horror, um, and Currently, in its current state, there is a female astronaut who is about to fire back at a giant monster in space because she has her library card and she's allowed to take the books that are clutched in one arm. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, so I kind of, like, in my head, this monster is, like, protecting a planet that is a library, kind of like Dr. Whovian. Um, ah. and, uh, she's gone in and, like, grabbed some books, and it's like, those are reference section only! And she's like, but I have my library card! Um, that's the story that I imagine's going on. <laughs> well, I like that. I, I like that there's a, there's a story behind it. Um, I think the, the art is always more interesting when you know the actual story behind it, so... Hopefully, the bizarre story I, just, I came up with comes across well. <laughs> Otherwise, I mean, at the very least, it's a lady with a library card floating in space versus a monster and, like, alien things. Yeah, I mean, fun. at least it'll be pretty. I mean, your, yeah. your stuff's always beautiful, so. Thank you. So, I know one of the things that I've, I've commented on before and we've talked about before with your artwork is the use of light in your work. Um, yeah. You have a, a, a fascinating use of light. So I'm I'm curious kind of where that came from and, and maybe who your artistic influences are that is that something that you developed on your own? Is that something that was inspired by the work of any 
any specific or particular artists? Uh, it actually came from when I worked in theater as a set designer. Um, I would always work very closely with the lighting designers because light always brought everything to life or killed it. Um, yes. The wrong color light will flatten out your entire paint treatment. The wrong angle of light will make something that is luscious look fake or vice versa. Um, and I would always pay very close attention to what they were doing, the angles and the color and the contrast. So, and how like they could take this three dimensional object or flat painted thing and make it and like heighten it. <laughs> so oh I yeah. I mean, light is of... so important in, in, especially in theater. I mean, yeah, I've seen some productions where they're professional productions and the light is too bright and they just wash everybody's face out. Um, and I've also seen ones that were like the local community theater and they had excellent lighting, you know, so it, it's really, it's really dependent upon how qualified, how good your, your lighting person is. I mean, you can have the best set and the best makeup and costumes in the world, but if the lighting is off, it's a bad time. Everything off. <laughs> like it. So for people who don't like maybe go see live theater very often, imagine just going into the hospital, right? You have just flat, flickery, unpleasant fluorescent lighting most of the time. Now, imagine you're in your favorite coffee shop. There's usually softer light, and it's usually lower, and it's just more gentle, and it's more comfortable. Mm -hmm. There's lots of different ways to shape a reality just through light, and I think about that a lot when I'm drawing. There's still a lot I can improve with my lighting in my art. I'm constantly thinking about it, and I do find other artists to pull um, inspiration from, especially artists who work a lot in black and white or inks, like Alex Murd. I actually love her stuff so much, and I oh, look yeah. at how she uses her, her contrast to just really shape things in negative space, and I find that very, very inspiring. Yeah, it's really cool. She, she does have a, a very deft hand, and you know, I think some of that comes from um, having a comic book background mm -hmm. type of thing you know where she does a lot of comics and um when you're working with boxes you know there's the the use of negative space in those panels i think is pretty important not that i'm an expert on on comic books i just as a reader of and an admirer of that's one of the things that i always ad admire and find interesting is how those boxes how those panels are used yeah the flow of a comic page can be a beautiful thing yeah, I mean, it's it's storytelling. I mean, we've had this conversation, obviously, multiple times before about how important um, storytelling is in everything that we do, and especially mm -hmm. for creatives, you know, whether it's writing or, or art. I mean, there's there's a lot that you can do in, in art that is n not something that you can do in the written word. Uh, what was the old saying? A picture is worth a thousand words. So, mm -hmm. you know, there are there are things that can come across with subtle facial expressions if you're you know doing characters and the angle of a head or the clothing that they're wearing or you know all that stuff is just so it, it's fascinating to me because it's something I can't really do um but it's it's just amazing how much can be conveyed just by looking at an image you know one of my favorite things that you've done for me is the um the the artwork that you did for uh the first von Homlin story where we 
had Victoria being led with the other children by the Piper. In fact, it's my desktop Aww. wallpaper, and I'm looking at it Aww. now. <laughs> That's awesome. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I know we went kind of, we went back and forth a couple of times on, like, colors and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, but, I mean, like, when I look at just the facial expressions on the individual children and, and you know, the, the way that the light is used and those little dots of power, energy, light, whatever we want to call them that are surrounding him um, and just the vapid expression on some of the faces. Um, and, and, you know, we talked about the clothing, too, like how mm -hmm. it should convey the fact that these are children from multiple time periods and, and that sort of thing. And um, it just continues to be something like every time I look at it, I see something else. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I got, I got kind of lost in that one when I was making it, just in the trying to live in that moment where you were you wrote in the story just like the description of the trees being alive and yeah. how the entire forest had this power to it. I wanted yes. to try and try and capture just a little bit <laughs> of what you had described. I I think there's still there's always more you could do, you know. But I am pretty happy with the amount of story that made it into that image from what was written because it was just that whole series was so much fun too so it was nice to like have just ah, dig in and make yeah. something a little more detailed than usual <laughs> you know it's i've always been like i remember growing up getting I, I mean i was always i've always been a voracious reader and just getting books reading the stories and falling in love with the story and the characters and and then like after reading the story looking again at the cover and being like the uh, the artist never read this book <laughs> that always annoyed the hell out of me. I mean, I get it. I understand why it's that way, but it's just like, it, it's very obvious whenever, like, it's the artist's interpretation of the very little information that they were, they, they gleaned from the story, you know? Yeah. Or they were just given, like, a, a description and they made up the rest or something. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I... I haven't done a whole lot of book covers yet, but yeah. all of the books that I've done covers for, I read first because there was no way I was going to be one of those artists that was like, yeah, I mean, it was about a castle, right? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of leeway there. What kind of castle? When is it set? Is it a new castle or an old castle? Yeah. Is it really important that that castle's on fire for the cover because it's like a pivotal point in the story? I don't know. These are all important things. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, at the very least, it, it it always spoke to me that there, I mean, well, not back then, but I mean, as I've, as I've started to create things myself and, you know, I've worked closely with you and with Alex and with, with other artists, um, you know, not always do people get a chance to, to read everything. And, and I mm -hmm. totally get that. Um, especially if you're a book cover designer and that's kind of your thing and you're doing multiple projects for multiple authors. But I mean, that's when the, the collaborative description back and forth kind of becomes so important. And, and that's yeah. one of the things I've always enjoyed with, you know, working with you and the other artists that we've worked with for the show is, is just the back and forth, you know, like the, the, the collaborative, okay, well, this isn't quite this, and this is what I'm kind of looking for. Um, I think that becomes so important, especially whenever, you know, like I said, you're in a situation where 
maybe you don't have the opportunity to, mm-hmm. to look at everything or read the story first. Or, or the time, because it does right. take time to read an entire novel. <laughs> yeah, no one can expect a cover designer to to, to, to read every single book project. I, I get it, you know what I mean? Like, But as a kid growing up, I was like, this sucks because this doesn't look anything like Belgareth. But anyway. Yeah. <laughs> well, and you um, could tell when the cover art was made by someone who either communicated really well with the yes. author or actually knew the story. Yes. Um, which I think is why a lot of when you get reprints of books, you get like a, a better cover sometimes. It's a <laughs> second printing because maybe the uh, new artist has read it or, you know, they, they figured out which points the really resonated with the readers that they wanted to like highlight that kind of thing yeah i mean you know it's now that i'm older and and now that i kind of work with authors and artists and everything one of the things that to me is is always interesting is i almost feel like indie book cover art and small press cover art is better than Mm -hmm. the stuff that's put out by the big publishing houses and i'm sure that there's exceptions to that whenever you're talking Mm -hmm. about like I don't know, Stephen King or Dean Koontz or, you know, someone that's a really big name. Um, but it's, I, I guess it's because th- there seems to be more of a collaborative effort. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm probably just making stuff up. I don't know. I don't that's know. just the way I feel, you know, like <laughs> yeah. I, I admire small press and, and indie art covers better more than I do like the, the stuff that the big publishing houses put out. And now I'll never get published by anybody. Nailed it. Good job. <laughs> Leaving we've, it in. We've we've ostracized ourselves from an entire like branch well, just, of reality. <laughs> just disagree with me and you'll be fine. Just let me take the fall. Oh, yeah. Dan, why would you say that? <laughs> <laughs> Do you see that bus? <laughs> um. <laughs> let me tr- let me see if I can get under it. <laughs> All right, cool. Thank you for taking that dive for me. That's right. That's right. <laughs> So, since we're ostracizing ourselves, let's talk about politics, shall we? Oh, God, no. No. (laughs) Bye. I I, I do want to talk about politics, but I want to talk about it in a very abstract way. Um, Okay. And and what I mean by that is there have been a couple of times that the Wicked Library and Victorious Lift have gotten reviews from people who uh, were very hung up on the fact that some political ideas and societal value ideas made their way into episodes, stories, um, production, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've always kind of had this feeling that art is in its very nature political because we are part of a society and as artists, as part of a society, part of your job is to look at society and report back uh, what you find. So, I mean, if I go back to old Twilight Zone episodes and old episodes of Star Trek and uh, even Next Generation, I mean, I, we can talk about a ton of examples of it, but I mean, I'm a huge fan of of Twilight Zone episodes and, and I think that those always had a, a, an underlying current. And I think when you look at even uh, stuff that's any anything that's written, really, you have to look at the context of the time in which it was written. Mm-hmm. And I think that certainly applies to art as well. Um, so I guess my question is, after setting it up that way so that you don't have to fall on one side of the spectrum, <laughs> is why is art 
importance to society and um, and why are societal values and politics a, an important part of art? Or are they not? <laughs> I definitely fall in the camp that I think art is a vital part of culture communicating what their values are. Um, so the stories we read, the art that's on the walls, all of it like really matters the plays that are written the stories that are on the radio the music we listen to all of it the best stuff has a reason even if the reason is i'm feeling this let me try to convey this feeling or i'm part of a revolution and i need to share that or I'm gay and I want to celebrate that. Like it all needs a voice and art is a great way to give voice to it. So I definitely think, uh, I don't know if that really explains why, why do we need to <laughs> manifest our thoughts and ideals in art? Well, <laughs> I think as human beings, it's an essential part of how our brains work. We need to voice and give outlets to the thoughts and ideals that we value. Otherwise, we're just kind of floating around in space, not feeling connected to anyone. I'd agree with that. I mean, I think that, that art is a vital way. And when I say art, I'm not just talking about visual art. I'm talking about any, any type of creative endeavor. Um, it's, I think it's vital that we, we challenge society and we challenge yeah. long held views. Um, because I mean, if we want to go back a hundred years, you know, um, in some countries being gay was illegal. Um, it was. in, in, in the 19s, uh, until the 1970s, you couldn't be. And I know this because we have a character, um, coming up in, in Victoria's lift, um, who works for the FBI and one of their mentors works for the FBI and their mentor is a gay man. And it's, that's something you had to keep secret. Like you couldn't tell anybody that shit if you wanted to keep your job. Um, and I think the only way that that has changed is not only through protests, not only through the work of, you know, a lot of tireless effort, but also through the arts. I mean, um, comedy, you know, shows like Saturday Night Live, um, uh, art, pop culture, art, um, music, uh, books, yeah. movies, all these things that are influence. I think that's part of the job of of an artist is to say here's an angle that you haven't looked at before. And, and maybe you change somebody's mind and maybe slowly it's, it, you know, it slowly changes minds, but that's our job. I think is to, even if it's just to say, Hey, I'm here and this is who I am and this is what I'm like. And yeah. you're going to have to deal with it because I'm not hiding it and I'm not going away. Um, Important. <laughs> yeah. it, it absolutely is. I mean, I feel like cultures, have have risen and fallen and all that's left is the art that they made sometimes whether yeah. it's sculptures or stories or you know the i would argue architecture is a form of art as well oh, absolutely. <laughs> you know uh cuz it tells the story of the people that that lived it that wanted yes. it that built it what their values were and yeah it is important to have those voices be heard so where do you find most of your inspiration? All over, which 
which is a terrible answer. But it's a great it's answer. So true. <laughs> it's a great. I, I only ask that question because people expect that question to be asked. Like, what inspires you? Um, yeah. It's the same thing that inspires you to to make a certain dinner. It's the same thing that inspires you to redo your living room. It's the same thing yeah. that inspires you to uh, take up a new hobby. It's 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 um it's that it's it's everything that you would come into contact with your within your life you know it's it's all those mediums that i was just talking about and more uh, it could be a conversation i mean it, when we were talking at the beginning of this we were talking about the lady rolling her cart around that's a real life event life. that occurred and you know i mean to me that's like that's rich story fodder right there just that one little yeah. description of this woman who lost all her books and is rolling around a suitcase trying to find them again, you know, and there's so many directions you can go with that story. You know, my head automatically goes to, um, okay, these are, these are books that have some sort of, you know, power and it's going to unleash, unleash horrors on the world if, if we don't get these books back, but somebody else might just go the, you know, the, the very emotional connection to your past type of thing, which is probably what it, it really is, but yeah. But <laughs> it could go so many ways. But exactly. I, I, I do. I find a lot of inspiration in, I guess, in a lot of it in the people that I meet. And through them, it's like, like from you, it was your podcast and Victoria at the very beginning. I, I <laughs> found your podcast at a very tumultuous and pivotal point in my life and found a lot of inspiration there. Um, I, gosh, I don't know. It it pulls from everything. I read a lot. I watch movies. I watch YouTube. I listen to podcasts. I listen to a lot of music lately. Music has been a big part of things. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. And living. You just gotta go live life. Go experience something. Get, get lost in the desert and try to not have, oh my God, that's a whole story. <laughs> <laughs> It's so important. And I mean, I think that if, you know, if anybody's listening that wants to to do art, create things in, in any medium, that's such an important part of that. I mean, and, yeah. and I think that as we get deep into creating things, and at least for me, uh, I, I want to do it all. You know, it's like yeah. I want to say yes to everything. And when you do that, you cut out all your time for you know, just kind of sitting and looking at the clouds or, or going out and like you said, getting lost in the, going on a trip and getting lost somewhere, you know, going out for a day without an agenda and just letting things happen. Um, those things are so important uh, to recharging the batteries and mm -hmm. to inspiring us. And if you don't do those things, you eventually get to the point where you're just like, I hate doing this. Well, burnout's a real thing. <laughs> very people real. Like it's it's not an ego thing. It's not like oh you you can't you can't burn out if you if you're good at it. You can burn out all over the place. <laughs> yeah. Um, I had one particularly dramatic burnout in my life, and now know the warning signs when I'm getting there, and I I know how to how to get off life a little bit when I need it now, which is good. <laughs> That's very good. Um, back in the day, I uh well before I got into podcasting or blogging or YouTube or any of it, um, I did film. Uh, I was a production designer for cheesy, cheesy sci-fi and like chiller <laughs> channel horror movies. Um, awesome. <laughs> it's good stuff. It's fun. Yeah. You know. Everybody likes um, bubble gum, you know? 
you need to I eat mean, a you need to eat a balanced diet and good nutrition, but every once in a while you want a cupcake. Yep, and I made cupcakes, man. <laughs> um, and I I got very burnt out doing it because I just pushed myself and pushed myself and would do like the sixteen hour days without sleeping for days in between and like I you know like I put my body through way more than it should have, and uh, I took a long break from film. Thankfully, I you know took a detour into the world that I'm in now, which is podcasting and blogging and art and just like focusing on my own illustration and stuff. And actually recently I started to get back into film and now it's just like, oh, wow, I can I'm I can do this without like giving up my own sense of identity. This this is great. I love this. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think a big factor in this burnout stuff, too, is like especially when you're creating stuff that. I don't know. When we first try to to get our stuff noticed, we put a lot of time and effort into it. Not oh, the people yeah. that are well established don't continue to do that. And not that that's not important. Um, but I think that part of it, too, at least for me, part of it was like nobody knows. Well, not nobody. Very few people, very few listeners probably know the amount of work that goes into the creation of something like the wicked library or victoria's yeah. lift i mean all the different components and some people do i mean some people know very well the amount of work that goes into it and, and appreciate it but like there's just so much that you do and and sometimes you're just like i'm doing all this stuff and nobody ever knows nobody's ever, and nor should they i mean it's not like you're supposed to go well i do this and then i do this and then i do this and then i do this people just want to listen to a story and have a good time right uh -huh. um but part of it for the creator is like man, I have to do all this just to get this one thing out there. So it's not just like, here's an audio file to listen to. There's like a ton of stuff that goes on behind the scenes yeah. before you get to the point where somebody can actually download it and listen to it. Um, and, and that can weigh on you <laughs> whenever you're mm -hmm. producing like four or five different shows, essentially. Um, yeah, I got to be better at that. Uh, <laughs> I completely understand. That's part of why I just like I had to take a break from YouTube too, because it was just like there's too much going on in my life right now. I gotta I gotta drop something for a minute. <laughs> so. Yeah, I mean, did you see um did you see the Bo Burnham thing that he did for Netflix? Oh my god, I I honestly could not watch the entire thing because I was so triggered. <laughs> it's it's intense. just like it, it's it's beautiful, but at the same, I felt so. Like, I mean, it's just, it's just, I, mean, I don't want to say it's a slog, but like emotionally it's taxing to watch yeah. that. And I think it's important, you know, like, I think it's important that he shared that because I mean, that's something that we, we usually don't do that as creatives. We usually don't just like pull down all the barriers and say, okay, here's all the shit that goes into it. And like just the emotional turmoil the poor guy was going through the entire mm -hmm. time and, you know, just continuing to try to find that inspiration. I mean, I, I I'll be honest with you. I've watched half of it. I, I I made it halfway through, and I'm like, I need a break from this because yeah. it's hard to watch. Um, I don't know if it's it, hard to watch for everyone or if it's just hard to watch for someone <laughs> who has gone through a lot of you know like who's created stuff. Um, yeah, <laughs> and and maybe a little bit of a mental health crisis there. That's what I saw in it. I saw yeah. the. Maybe that's just me projecting, but you know, that's what good art makes you do. You see yourself in it, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, you and I both had some, some turmoil. <laughs> I think oh. everybody has had turmoil over the last couple of years, but I mean, I you know, mean, I mean, I recently went through 
and I'm uh, still in the process of, of therapy. I finally found a therapist that works for me and, um, you know, I, I was diagnosed and tested for autism and I'm autistic and it, it, it kind of put everything into perspective because there's so much of the stuff that I've been doing all my life with masking and, and camouflaging to act neurotypical that I wasn't even realized, you know, like I didn't even realize that I was doing it. I didn't realize that not ever. I thought everybody did this. Um, and so it was very eye opening to be like, no, not everybody struggles with these things. Like people that like small talk at parties actually like small talk at parties. And for me, it's just like, I want to leave immediately. Yeah. <laughs> I I understand that. <laughs> it took me a long time and I'm, I, uh, you know, I am neurotypical as far as I know, but like small talk's hard, dude. <laughs> Even when uh, yeah. you know the people you're like, Hey, so I have this drink in my hands and, uh, <laughs> I have enough of them. You're, you become interesting. Something now. <laughs> if, if I have enough of these, you become interesting to me and maybe I become interesting to you. So cheers. That's right. <laughs> Keep going. Yeah. Oh, no, I think, I, I think most people struggle with small talk, but yeah, it, that's gotta be one of those things where you realize, Oh, that's not normal. Yeah. Huh? <laughs> there were a lot of things that I, I found that like I was doing that I'm, I thought, you know, everybody had to script these things out and plan these things out. And mm-hmm. apparently not. Apparently most people can go to the grocery store without feeling like claustrophobic and Aww. overwhelmed by the lights and the noise and people being too close and all that fun stuff. Um, hey, now you know why. Yeah. You can adapt better. <laughs> Or just accept it because it's just part of how your brain works. That's it. I mean, it, 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 you know, it's it's, absolutely is accept it because it, it it makes things, it takes a lot of pressure off, you know, like I spent a lot of time being angry at myself for being angry in certain situations. And now that I understand that it's not 100%, it's not like, I don't want to say it's not my fault, but it's not, it's the way my brain works, you know? So, I mean, Mm -hmm. there's ways to, to work at it and get better. Um, but it's not what I was doing, um, right. you know, so it takes the pressure off to know that things are going to frustrate me that don't frust- frustrate most people. Um, and by taking that pressure off of like, I'm like, OK, I understand that I'm angry, but I'm not angry at myself for being angry. So that allows it to kind of dissipate sooner. Otherwise, it's just this loop. Yeah. Um, like, it's really yeah. hard to ex- to explain. And I probably am making absolutely no sense. but. This is my brain. Aww, this is my no. brain on autism. I I I do get it. Uh, it's just I mean, like I usually am one of the I'm a chill person. Yes, you I'm are. High energy, and I hate losing my temper. Like it is the worst thing. To, I get more angry at being angry than I do at whatever pissed me off in the first <laughs> place. <laughs> like, so I kind of get it. Yeah. <laughs> uh. It's not a common loop for me, uh, but it is. I, I understand being like, God damn it. <laughs> you know, Why I used to I say that? I was fueled by rage, and I don't think that's changed. I'm just <laughs> fueled by rage. I'm constantly. It's like it's like uh, what Banner says in, 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 in the first Avengers movie. Uh, that's the thing. I'm always angry. You know, so that's for me. I'm always angry. Aww. <laughs> well, I hope you continue to find ways to. Find some joy instead of just... Oh, I'm... Yeah, I do. I do. (laughs) 
We're going to go ahead and take a quick break here. And when we come back, we'll share more of our discussion on art and creating things. What for you means being successful as an artist? Continuing to just create things that speak to yourself is really hard to do. And I think, because like my my life has just been uh, pure chaos <laughs> for a hot minute now. Um, You've been on an important journey. I have been on an important journey. Uh, for those listening, yes, I, I got divorced. I went to New Mexico. I wandered around the desert for a while. I discovered, you know what? I think I'm gay. And then I figured out, yeah, I'm a lot gay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> life's been interesting. And during all of that, I've continued to paint and write and use art as a way to process all of the stuff that's been going on and the chaos and the rediscovering my own identity and all that. Uh, it's been vital. <laughs> Vital's the key word in this conversation, I think. And uh, despite everything that's been going on, I feel like it would have been easy to just be like, oh, I just, I can't even touch a paintbrush right now. I can't even think about trying to work on my stories or any of it. Like, it doesn't matter, you know. Um, but I, I feel like if people take the pressure off of trying to make art that is, quote, good, and just make art that speaks to yourself, you'll get a lot further faster because it, it is, you're touching that thing that is vital giving voice to the things that need to be voiced for your own soul. It, and, you know, that sounds so, like, arty, hoity-toity, but it's true. <laughs> Make what speaks to you. And usually it ends up speaking to other people, too, because they see themselves in the truth of what you're saying or painting or writing or singing, etc. <laughs> yeah. No, honesty is so important in art. Um, and, and being open is so important in art. It, and, and being okay with that. I mean, that's, like, the that's one of the things that, I think a lot of new creators struggle with is, is revealing the, the icky parts, the, 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 the parts that you don't necessarily feel comfortable with everybody knowing. Mm. Um, and I think that's what you have to do because people respond to things that are honest and mean something. It's, it's, this, it's this constant thing that I've always wondered, like, you know, like sometimes I'm sure you've had the experience too, when you're drawing or painting or, you know, creating in, in a visual medium, like something that I do will touch me emotionally, you know? So mm -hmm. like I'll get emotional over a particular scene or a particular piece of dialogue or an exchange between a couple of characters. And that's always the tricky part is like, am I, am, am I emotional because this is good or am I emotional because I'm too close to it mm -hmm. and it means something to me, but it, doesn't mean something to someone else. And what I've kind of constantly been told by other creatives is, yeah, if it touches you, it's going to touch somebody else because it's open and it's honest. Yeah. Um, I've, I've definitely discovered the same thing is the pieces that I make that are just dent art or just something for me to just deal with something or, or celebrate something. Those are the things people are like, that. 
I, I, or like, I need to buy that. Or I just, I, I appreciate this because, or yeah, like, I mean, you and I have both had this experience where something we made, made an actual, like tangible difference in someone's life, which yeah. is crazy to realize that something you made, made an actual difference to somebody. Holy cow. That's, yeah. it's, I, I, honestly, that, 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 if nothing else, other than my just, constant need to make things um keeps me making things is to just know that there's someone out there who is writing because of the ninth story podcast you know someone out there is drawing something because i shared a tutorial and they're like yeah i can try that or or, or the, like, there's actually people I know that have met and gotten married to each other because of a piece of art that I made that connected them somehow. Like, that's just mind blowing that you can make an act like a genuine difference in someone's life, making something so selfish. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 that. Yeah, that's that's the beautiful thing. I mean, I, about collaborations that you know I've worked on is you know I, I see other side projects develop. Uh, where people begin to work together that didn't work together before. And mm -hmm. those connections that, that people make, I think are so important. Um, and yes, I mean, whenever you get feedback from, from somebody saying that, you know, listening to something that you created or seeing something that you created or reading something that you created, you know, helped them whenever they were down or it got them through a tough period or, yeah. you know, it, it made a difference in the way that they looked at the world. I mean, I, major cre i mean like what we would consider like the 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 big stars of creation even those folks are touched by um i think it's part of the human experience like if you know something that you did actually really truly meant something to someone we all want to hear that right because yeah. we've had that experience ourselves where something we've read watched heard looked at um impacted us and and changed our perspective or changed our day or got us through something hard so that's that's part of the creation process that's beautiful is when something that you've done impacts somebody's life in a, in a way that you're not expecting it to yeah or intending it to really um, yeah. <laughs> i don't think we i don't think any of us set out to be like well this story is going to save somebody's life someday and <laughs> Nope. That would be really <laughs> fucking arrogant, wouldn't it? Like, <laughs> I'm gonna yeah. create, I'm gonna create something that's gonna keep someone married. Um, wow! <laughs> or that's I'm gonna create goal. something that's gonna tell someone, you know, it's okay to go and and seek out other things. Um, yeah, <laughs> you do it for you, and if, if it means, I think that's the wrong way to do things. Like, this is gonna be an important piece of work. Uh. Anytime someone starts a sentence with, this is an important piece of work, I'm like, no, it's not. <laughs> let, let me be the judge of that. That's right. I, I the audience. <laughs> That's right. I, I will tell you whether it's important or not. That's fine. So um, a little more esoteric. Do you have like certain routines that, that help you create or certain times of day or um, certain things that you do that put you in the right mindset to create? Or is it just kind of sit down and at, whatever comes comes at one point i had routines i am <laughs> at a point in my life where i do not <laughs> anymore <laughs> um 
lately it's been wherever I can find the time to make something, I make it. Um, so for example, um, this past month I was working on, uh, on set as an onset dresser. So basically I'm the person in the art department who shows up when they're filming to move the furniture and stuff around so that it looks nice on camera. Um, which meant when they're filming, I had a lot of downtime and, uh, because I'm a crazy person, I <laughs> have a full-time job <laughs> along Me with too. this Me too. and I, and I was working on that. And when I was done with my task for my day job while on set doing that on my phone, I was like, cool, I will work on my book. And I just brought my little Bluetooth keyboard and my phone and I worked on my book in the side because that's when I had time. But I do blame that work ethic on a longstanding pattern, which is where my burnout comes from because it's yeah. not a healthy pattern. Um, but I always try to find time in my day to do things that matter to me along with whatever I'm working on. So I was an artist at Muse Paint Bar um, and I taught classes and I would be so just pumped from teaching those classes to people like just regular people, kids and like grandmas painting things together is that like I, I loved that job. Yeah. And I was so just like jazzed up by the time i get home that i would continue painting just things for myself because i'm like yeah i want to make more art like <laughs> it just felt good um it's so funny how that works isn't it like yeah. the more you give the more you get back it's so true and like i i don't know i just this like even working on the film set i was trying to find time to work on my own writing or um when i'm doing stuff for my day job I will in you know try to take like my lunch break to work on some illustration stuff or things like that and I find that making things for other people usually makes me more motivated to make stuff for myself if I'm not making anything at all it gets really easy to get into a rut it's kind of like inertia once an object is in motion it continues to be in motion so I try to always be that rolling stone you know <laughs> yeah so you can't just sit around and watch reruns of The Office? I mean, that doesn't help you. Uh, no. I'm actually, <laughs> I've gotten really bad at just sitting still and watching things lately. It's gotten better. Yeah. <laughs> but I frequently need to be, like, doing something with my hands. So if I'm watching reruns of The Office, I am drawing something while I'm watching the reruns. Or uh, there's literally a painting next to the tv in my living room because whenever i just get like anxious about things i'll just like start painting on it um and continue working on it this painting's been going for like over a year now because <laughs> i keep being like let me repaint this and do that and it's just like little things in between all these you know what you know what's funny that you, now that you mentioned that like there how many movies and, and tv shows have there been where movies especially where like you you watch the author write a book as a montage and like their books done in like 30 minutes or oh, half yeah. an hour or, you know, or, or the montage is like over the space of a week, they've written an entire novel and dropped it to the publisher. Um, but every time you see like an artist working on a painting, it's like months and years that they're working <laughs> on this piece of, I, I get news for you. Friends writing is the same way. Yeah, it, takes, it, is. it takes, it takes just as long to, to write a good book, um, it takes just as long to write a good story as it does to create anything else. Yeah. 
And some things are fast and some take forever. And it just, you know, you just have to work on it however it works. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember who it was that my, my friend Cindy, who people who listen to Victoria's Lift will know because Cindy has been involved in production for a long time and mm-hmm. um, has done voiceover work and all kinds of stuff for the show, story editing and whatnot. Um, but anyway, we, we, we used to go to these series of lectures here in Pittsburgh where you'd have authors that would come in and talk about their, their work. And I, one of the things that always stuck with me, there was, this, I can't remember who it was, honestly, but he was talking about short story writing and he's like, you know, sometimes he can write a short story over a weekend and sometimes it takes him months. And he said, you know, the, the ones that take months tend to be the ones that are more interesting because I come to that story at different times, you know? So like, I'm I'm in different moods and I'm almost kind of like a different person each time I touch that story. So different parts of me make it into that story. And and that was kind of my experience with the, the Von Homlin story. I started that in Germany years ago and, you know, started working on it and toying with it. And, and it took a, a quite a while for me to get to the point where it was the story that I wanted to tell. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. Like, when you work on things over a, a period of time, sometimes you see things that you wouldn't see if you just sat down and did it in a in a rush. Absolutely. I can think of so many things where, I mean, I I tend to, as an artist, like a visual artist, I, I crank things out. <laughs> I, yeah. I do. <laughs> uh, I make a lot of stuff. Um, but there is definitely a difference between the things that I just make and then leave and the things that continue to be worked on over like a chunk of time. Um, I definitely try to give myself a project here or there that is like a labor of love kind of thing that requires a little bit more time. I like having something that's like a pet project on the side Yeah. as I crank through things like a maniac. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, you know, there's a great example of that. You you did uh, you did three paintings in the space of whatever the length of the time was for our live show in in uh, Atlanta uh, back in 2019, I believe it was. Yeah. Um, now, of course, you you practiced those paintings quite a I few did. times. So you know, so it's, it, I think that kind of counts as like it takes a while to get to the point where you've done it so many times that it becomes almost like muscle memory. It, that's um, exactly what that was. I um it was that, so good someone stole one of the paintings. Yeah, Still my I know. favorite story. <laughs> Still my favorite story. Oh, it's such a good story. <laughs> I love that somewhere there is a stolen painting of mine on some like now probably graduated college kids wall like dudes, I stole that from a live show. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm sure he tells the story so much more epically than the reality was, which was he was probably drunk and was like, oh, my God, I need that painting. And then he went up on stage, looked me in the eye, said, sorry, and then ran off like a Scooby-Doo villain. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Oh, it was good. <laughs> it's tremendous. Uh, but, yeah, those paintings, um, that was muscle memory. Because I, I used to, like, in high school, I would perform a lot um in theater and just in the school theater and and in choir actually as a performer <laughs> in a lot of ways um but i practiced those paintings the same way i would rehearse a play i figured out how i wanted to paint it so i did an original like master version of it and then i just 
practice over and over and over again until I got the timing down to match with the story itself. So there were certain points of each painting that needed to show up at certain points of the story so that like uh, with the, uh, I'm not going to remember the title of the story, but I remember the title of the painting, which was The Lovers. Um, the, The face of the spirit, evil spirit shows up when things start to get really dark and you know there's certain like movements that get more frantic as the story like peaks you know um all of that was rehearsed so i painted each of those paintings probably at least 10 times each just to make sure i'd have the timing and the story down so that it would be a performance you know yeah yeah so you're talking about uh christopher long's story um which i believe and the 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 final title ended up being freebies, uh, which is kind of funny because the painting was a freebie for somebody. <laughs> it was. Uh, Destiny's very funny. <laughs> yeah, that was the that was the the story about the, um, the 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 folks that got the tickets, the free tickets to go see a show. And as they were watching the show, they were getting possessed and. Evil things were happening. Yeah. Isn't yeah. that crazy? Yes. That that painting. It was the magician. The magician was the title of the painting. Yeah. Um, not the lovers. The lovers was the other one. The magician yeah, because we did the um, did a disappearing act. That's the yes. one that got stolen. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The the lovers, I think, was the one we did. That was KB Goddard's story. That was on Holy Wedlock. That was it. And the that was was that the one that got stolen or was it? I thought it no, was. The it was the first one, right? Stolen. Yeah, the magician. Yeah. They magically stole the freebie sp- uh, painting. That's that's awesome. <laughs> I don't know if I don't know if I ever told Chris Long that the uh, well, actually, he knows because he wrote the story that the title of the story was freebies. But I don't think we ever talked about that. Like he, I know we talked recently about he thought it was crazy that a paint you know a story that he made or a story that he wrote was the painting that got stolen. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, of course he would know the name is freebies. He's the author. You're stupid. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> but did he make that connection? That's probably um he's a smart guy he's a freebie he's a smart dude yeah i'm sure he did it's true i'm Um, sure he saw the irony (laughs) it's probably the first thing he thought he's like well the title of the the story is freebies so i mean obviously maybe they're maybe maybe that's what inspired the person maybe they were reading the program and they're like well freebies all right i'll go ahead and take that painting (laughs) that's crazy i love it that was wild so let's let's um since we're since this is part of the Victoria's Lift behind the scenes inside the music box series, um let's talk maybe a little bit about some of the art that you've done for Victoria and for yeah. Victoria's Lift. Do you have any that stick out to you as as particular favorites that you remember doing? Oh well, the first one that which one of your mind... kids is your favorite? No. <laughs> <laughs> Now, now, keep in mind, I did say any particular ones that stand out to you as favorites, not which one is your favorite, right. um, but just like maybe like the not even necessarily the final painting or the story involved, but just like the experience of creating one or, or one that when you finished with it um, or more than one, uh, when you finished kind of spoke to you and you're like, well, you know, that that's that was fun. That was good. Or So. The one that jumps to mind is not the one I'm the most proud of because it's the oldest. <laughs> okay. 
So it's actually the like the fan art one I made of Victoria when you and I first started talking on Twitter, and I was like, "Oh my god, the creator of this podcast I listen to likes my art," and I had like a hella fangirl moment. That's awesome. <laughs> um, and then and then I just made fan art of Victoria and sent it to you, and you loved it. And like I look back at that piece, and I'm just like, "Oh, I have grown so much as an artist." Is how I should phrase that because. Every piece of art is valid, regardless of your journey. Um, but I'm still, I don't know. There was just, like, I put so much effort into that one piece of art and, like, making the cool lighting and, like, trying to draw Victoria. And she, by the way, I've drawn her so many times, and every dang time, she gives me a hard time with it. Yeah. I don't know what it is about Victoria. She's a sassy girl. Whenever I try to draw her... <laughs> You know, it's it's funny because it's everybody ev- everybody that writes her, not I wouldn't say everybody, but m- most of the authors that have written her have, have had shared stories with me about like weird things that have happened or strange things that have happened during the writing of the story. Or, you know, uh, Matiko, who's done a lot of art for Victoria as well, mm-hmm. Steve Matiko, um, always had stories about like hearing voices in the other room and, you know, hearing a giggle or something like that while he was working <laughs> on stuff. And I'm like. Dude, you're probably exhausted. And he's like, no, no, seriously. She was in the other room. I swear to God. Aw. <laughs> um, she's, she's busy. She definitely makes herself known. She does. So we, what we'll do is we'll make we'll make that picture the cover art for this episode so people can, can can see it. It's um it's also the cover art for um the homage, which is a story that Mark Nixon wrote way back whenever I was before Victoria's oh. Lift was victoria's lift before victoria's lift was the lift um it was basically like a proof of concept type of episode we did two pilots one that i wrote that was more like stuff that's going on in the building and you know who victoria is and then we also did a um so we call those the um the core stories and then we also do the visitor stories uh which is like what mark wrote the homage where um an author meets victoria and kind of steals some of his work from somebody else and and calls it an homage um which <laughs> victoria tells him isn't quite the case uh, yep. but anyway if you go to victoriaslift.com and you go to the pilots um which it's under seasons you go to pilot episodes you can see the 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 full artwork but we'll we'll go ahead and reuse that as the cover for this episode as yeah. well so people can can see that uh-huh. um I've I've definitely grown as an artist. I'm more proud of like the later art as far as like skill and everything, but that one still has a soft part and a soft spot in my heart because it was just the start, you know. Well, me too. I mean, it was the first time anybody had ever done fan art of something that I created, and especially something that was important as important to me as Victoria. Um, I I I got I cried when I when I when I got the picture. I'm like that just it touched me deeply that someone cared enough about something that I made or created to spend the time to actually make her uh, in, in visual form. Uh because I'm not an artist and I kind of know what she looked like and um but I could never I could never do anything like that. So and it goes out into the ether, and it speaks to somebody, and then art continues to be made. <laughs> this is correct. Um, yeah, I mean, art's been always been such a big part of of the show. I mean, it for yeah. me especially, it's this 
because everything kind of exists as either audio or written form to actually see her and see um, the, the, the visitors or see the, the cover art for each of the seasons has always been so important to me. Um, you know, like the first season we did, we had a ton of cover arts, right? We did covers yeah. for pretty much everything. Every episode. And, and I think we continued that up through season three, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we started going to the uh, single single image per season, which I kind of like. You know, the we still get a fresh image every season, and it kind of gives everything a consistent feel, mm-hmm. with the exception of what season four. You did like two, you did two versions of stuff and you're like, well, we can go one of these two ways. And I like them both so much. I was like, just do them both. I'll pay you for both. And yep. we'll alternate them between the two. Um, I liked that actually. It was kind of cool to see like both get used yeah. throughout, the, throughout the season. I, I will tell you one of my favorites remains the, the one you did for the Lost Library, which is the one where uh, it's a KB Goddard story about a yep. woman who is struggling with whether or not she pursues her career, whether she wants to be a writer or if she wants to follow. I think we're, I think the story is set in the Edwardian era. So it's right after Victorian era and women were still supposed to get married and that was their job. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And Victoria kind of shows her through this, the lost library, her library um, and shows her, you know, here's all the books that that you could have written that didn't get written. Yeah, um, that the, story sticks with me for it. It has for a long time. I think about it a lot, actually. All the books that could have been written, <laughs> right? You know, the stuff from from other realms, or or you know, because people made a different choice, they didn't get written. Mm-hmm. Um, but the just the image of the the library and the lights above the table and. You know, just little tiny Victoria holding this woman's hand as she's leading her through this massive library. Um, there's just something about that image that always spoke to me. It's like, I think it's because she's so small and mm-hmm. petite and she's just a little girl or, or so she looks like, but she's actually just this very powerful being, entity, mm-hmm. whatever you want to call her. I that one's definitely a favorite. I, that one it was fun to play with the color a lot and play with the grandeur of the library versus that that tiny just the the almost almost insignificant humans walking through it and yet that's the heartbeat of it, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's it's always it's always fun to see different interpretations of um victoria and you know right now i mean you're you're you consistently have done more art for victoria's lift than anybody else and obviously (laughs) you know you're the um creative director so i mean the look and feel of the 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 website ultimately and everything else um is tied to your vision yeah which i actually made an entire pinterest board just for <laughs> oh yeah. Victoria's lift. Yeah. Cuz I was like, what is Victoria's lift? And I spent days <laughs> just yeah. adding stuff to it. Going deep into dark academia <laughs> Pinterest boards and 
uh, comics and, and just like different images with lighting that speaks to me about what I think would, would, it would feel like inside the lift. Um, it just, yeah, it's, it's quite the rabbit hole I went down. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, I, 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 I'm curious about one other thing when we're talking, while we're talking about your art, there is one that, that, um, um, Abigail Larson did, um, Mm -hmm. and she, she did all the line art and just because she's tremendously busy and anybody who doesn't know who Abigail Larson is or what her art is, you need to go out and find her stuff and and treat yourself to, uh, some amazing artwork. Um, Instagram is just so good, right? So inspiring. (laughs) So good. Um, (laughs) but I was lucky enough to have her say yes to, uh, do artwork for me in season one. And I mean, there was no budget for the show. Um, she was just kind enough to say, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll do this one for you. And, uh, it was for broken, which is where Nikola Tesla is repairing Victoria's music box. And because she was so busy, she's just like, I, I'm not going to have time to color this, um, in time for the airing of your episode. Is there somebody else that can color it? So I sent it to you and you were like, absolutely. I'd love to color it. Um, and I've always been curious, like, what is it like coloring somebody else's line work? Uh, it's a little intimidating, but it's also very fun because I always enjoy the collaborative aspect of it. Um, it's like, Ooh, what do you think they would put here? And, but what do you think the right colors would be for your own style? And how do you blend the two together? Like I was not, I was not trying to copy Abigail's, uh, her way of working with colors because there's, I just, I'm not that, that quite that. Oh, don't sell yourself short. (laughs) It's different. It's not one, one is not better than the other. It's just different approaches. Yeah, it's true. Um, I very much admire the way she colors things. It's just so beautiful. But I definitely have a different way of painting in Photoshop. Um, so it was a little intimidating because she's definitely an artist I look up to. And I'm like, oh, my God, I get to color your work. Ah! <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, mild fangirl paint and, uh, you know, start working on it. <laughs> but it it is very fun to kind of it's a little bit like a coloring book, but it's like different. I'm not describing this well. No, it's I think you're almost... doing fine. I mean, like I'll tell you, I hesitated at first because I'm like, is it going to be insulting if I ask somebody else to color somebody else's work? And then I found out later that that's like most of the time, that's how comics are done. And mm-hmm. you know, that it's, it's, it's like a thing that someone is a colorist and someone is a line artist. And yeah. um, I felt better after figuring that out, but I was Aww. like, I don't, I don't know. I mean, like, uh, is it insulting if I'm like, well, somebody else has done the line work. Can you just put color on it? Um, wow. but I mean, I guess it's a totally different thing. I mean, cause I know when I looked at the line art and I was imp- so impressed with it, I was like, well, maybe I can just like throw a green filter or something over top of this. And, um, and then whenever I was like, no, I'm going to ask Jeanette if she can do it. And, mm-hmm. and you did the art. It, it's, t- it was a totally different image after yeah. all the color was added. Um, I mean, I guess I shouldn't be shocked, but I was, I was like, oh my God, this feels totally different now. And it was so much better. Oh, <laughs> well, color is part of the story. It's so true. And I, I think, um, 
one of the nice things as an artist uh kind of coloring someone else's line work is you get that opportunity to very deeply study what the other artist made um i've done it a couple times already where i'll just color in something that someone else has done um i've done a couple videos on my youtube channel um which eventually i do plan to post on again i swear (laughs) Um, but there is one I did with, uh, in a collaboration with Josh B and then, uh, there's a, a Krampus collaboration I did, um, where someone sent me their line art and I colored it or vice versa. Um, and it is, it's fun because you get to really just live inside of someone else's art for however long you're coloring. It's yeah. the same thing as a coloring book. It's just like, you know, next level, I guess. <laughs> right. No, yeah, I totally get it. It's, I mean, you know, after, after you did it and after we talked, I, I mean, I, I was glad that you had so much fun with it. Um, but it's, it's, I guess it's a totally different experience than doing everything yourself. Right. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk about one more, one more piece okay. that there's one that kind of spoke to me. Have you, um, have you heard the new production that we did for pride month of why I take the lift by Mark Nixon? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the first, the first go around, um, I mean, it was season one of the show and, mm-hmm. you know, there was no budget and I didn't know any voice actors and, you know, I, I was just getting started with everything. So, you know, Mark wrote a beautiful story and, and I performed it um, and, and did, you know, the narration and everything. So performed it, I guess is correct. Um, but, you know, like years later, it, it that was one that always stuck with me as being kind of a very special story and the artwork that you did for it was very special as well. And um, in fact, we recreated it in New York, uh, <laughs> you and I. Um, there's just like so much that's said in that image and it's it. there's not a high level of detail to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'll let you speak to that part, but it, it's almost enhanced by the, the lack of detail rather than suffering from lack of detail. Like there's, I don't, I, I don't know how to explain it, but there's like more to it. It's stark. Yes. And (laughs) and just like the simple, there's a a simple action of her putting her hand on his shoulder and, um, you know, him being very upset. You can tell he's very upset and she's just kind of resting her hand on it. There's just, there's so much in that simple gesture and the way that it's captured in the image. Um, But that story always kind of spoke to me and I felt it was an important story. Um, And, you know, for, for Pride Month this year. I took that story with Mark's permission and I cast David Alt as the, uh, as the performer, you know, we changed a couple of lines, uh, within the story, but mostly left it the same. Uh, Mark was concerned cause he's like, you know, I've evolved just like you were saying about, you know, art, you know, I've evolved as an author and, mm-hmm. you know, I, I think I'm better than, than that story now. And, but to me it was, it's like that story spoke to the potential of, of what Mark was able to do. It's just, mm-hmm. Um, it's a, I, I think contrary to my, my, my statement earlier that this is actually an important story. And it, it, to me, it always felt like it needed more than I was able to give it at the time. So, you know, got David hired him to do the story, had Nico do a whole new score for it. Um, we left the art pretty much the same. Um, I think I just added a filter over top with the, uh, the rainbow colors, uh, because I didn't want to change the artwork itself, but, you know, I felt that that addition kind of elevated it a little bit. 
Um, but yeah, so all that's set up for basically me to ask you, like, what, what did that piece mean to you? And, and, you know, what was the experience of creating it and, and what was the thinking of going to something more stark than detailed? Because a lot of the others, I mean, everything else that you've ever done is very detailed. Um, and that one kind of stands out as being more stark, but for me, it really works that way. I think that one was heavily influenced by the story itself. I just remember just like reading that story and feeling that kind of sense of emptiness and isolation. And that was really important to me when I was drawing that piece. And that's why it ended up so stark. It was like, what are it? It was almost like this moment caught in like this misty haze. Like there was no reality except for the pain at the center for mm -hmm. that character, which is why the artwork, I, I attempted to do that same thing with the art itself. It was almost like you were seeing it through this thick smoke or thick uh, fog. And it was just that moment of, hey, you're not alone. That's yeah. what mattered. So it didn't need other details. It didn't need the rest kind of filling it in because the focus was that moment was the hand on the shoulder. The, it's okay. You're, you're not in this alone. You know? Yeah, her, her appearing to him at just the time whenever he needed somebody to uh, kind of provide that comfort and that guidance. Mm-hmm. It's awesome. I hope well, I explained that well. <laughs> oh no, I do. I think you did. Um, I do want to give you some time to talk about your your movie project and um anything that you want to promote. So go for it. Uh, promoting wise, uh, I don't know if I can talk about the one I just worked on, but the one I'm about to work on is called the Callback. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and we had a successful Seed and Spark campaign and um super excited because I started building the set with my girlfriend Alex the other weekend and now we're this upcoming weekend going to finish building it and it's going to be it's it's just been a delight working with this group of people and like getting I mean getting the dirt under my fingernails again <laughs> it's it's uh refreshing building in three dimensions again and taking uh taking the skills that I've really been building as an artist and illustrator back into set design and feeling like I am a completely different artist coming out of, I don't know, the, the space of time that I've been locked in a, a room <laughs> thinking about my life. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, life is, you're coming out of right your cocoon. Now. You had to go into a cocoon for to make the changes. Yeah. And now you're a new butterfly. Oh, it is so mild, mild detour. It's funny you bring up cocoons because I have been seeing lunar moths like in in things all over the place, like on tattooed on people and like symbolized in art and things like that. I'm like, why am I so drawn to the symbol right now? And I looked it up and it's actually a symbol of like new life and rejuvenation and moving on to a new phase of a metamorphosis kind of thing, which is mm -hmm. common in butterflies and stuff. But lunar moths in particular are tied to the moon and like, I'm a cancer and I'm a moon, like a water. So I don't know. There's a whole lot going on in my head right now, but I'm just like, ah, it is a moment of like 
re like just opening my wings and feeling like I am this new version of myself. And it's exciting. It's exciting to be to feel like I've I've got the mental space to write and to paint the things that I want while actively starting to pursue film again and you know, it's going to be a little bit while I rebalance like how how am I keeping up with my online content and like writing and and maybe I'll actually share my writing beyond my blog soon. We'll see. <laughs> um but it's it's just I feel like there's I'm just at this point of uh opportunity. Life is light and bright and beautiful and I'm excited about what's next. And I guess that the most recent next thing is going to be the callback film, doing the set design and special effects for them. And then uh, I can't say what is coming after that because it's not official yet, but it is yeah. very exciting. <laughs> yes. And there's some I know, but I'm not going to say. And uh, more art to come. And, you know, my little chaotic journey just continues onwards. <laughs> That's tremendous. Where's the best place for people to find and inter interact with Jeanette? Ah, so the places I am the most active right now are Instagram at Jeanette Andromeda or Twitter at Jeanette Andromi. Uh, it's it's Andromeda without the duh because I wasn't allowed enough symbols on <laughs> Twitter. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Figure yeah. If you get most of the way through the name, you'll find it anyway. <laughs> that's right. That's right. It'll come up. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks, Jeanette. It's always Thank a pleasure you. to speak with you. I mean, I, we talked just the other day, uh, friendly-wise. And did. Uh, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. I'm sure that it comes through in the interview that you're a friend and uh, a dear one at that. And um, it, it always makes me feel better after I talk to you. I'm always happier after I talk to you. You are you know. a ray of sunshine always in every way. Aw. So, yeah, that's it. We're done. Yeah. Well, uh, to everybody listening, thank you. And go make some art. 